This is not financial advice. Do your own research. <laughs> buy the freaking dip, man. Buy the freaking dip. Uh, buy the freaking dip, you, man. Buy yeah, the freaking dip. Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin can mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast. And joining me on today's show is at Zuby Music. You can go and follow Zuby if you're not already. Really interesting young man. Very, very talented, very driven. Talking about a lot of current events and, of course, Bitcoin, which uh, is the reason he's been showing up on a few of the other podcasts as well. Recently on the 21ism podcast, where he was the featured music for the last block. So make sure you go and check out that as well. Thanks for coming on, brother. Really appreciate you doing this and, uh, you know, putting the word out there. Thanks for fielding Caitlin's first question, too. Before we get onto the show, let's make sure you guys are stacking properly and safely. Use some very trusted exchanges or apps. In the UK, you can use coinfloor.co.uk forward slash Bitcoin, Bitcoin only exchange. Across Europe, you can use Relay, R-E-L-A-I dot C-H, Fiat cost average out of your euros and Swiss and get straight into Bitcoins, get those Satoshis stacking, taking over. In the US, you can use swanbitcoin.com forward slash Bitten. Make sure you're using them in the US. They are widely regarded as the best place to DCA over there across the pond. But you have to take control of your Satoshis. Make sure you get them on a hardware wallet. Use the Bitbox 02, Bitcoin only edition from Shift crypto.ch forward slash bitten that will get you a five percent discount i recently did an interview with douglas the founder of shift crypto you'll find that on 21ism or just hang out here because it will be dropped in a couple of weeks and there will be a giveaway enjoy this one with zuby okay we're good to go zuby welcome to the show man thank you so much for taking the time all good daniel happy to be here well, as I was explaining to you just a second ago, Lauren usually asks the first question, uh, but today Caitlin is here to ask the first question. Now, usually, just to give you a little context here, Zuby, I ask the kids, Lauren's been on the show for over a year now. She's pretty much the co-host and, uh, you know, shows the, the most interest in this. But I might throw it out there to, uh, to other guys. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, I've got... Uh, Robert Breedlove coming on the show, or, or Parker Lewis, or you know Andy Edstrom, and they're like, yeah, what are those guys do? You know, they write books, they they write articles. I got this guy Zuby coming on. Oh yeah, what does he do? He's a rapper. He's a famous rapper. What? Caitlin, straight in here. So, that, <laughs> so that's as shallow as it gets. Just to. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. So over to you, Caitlin. Um, I wanted to ask you, who is your favorite like rapper in the space? Sure. My two favorite rappers are Tech 9 and Jay-Z. Those okay. are my two favorites. I like a whole bunch of rappers, but those are my those are my top two. I I know who Jay-Z is, but I don't know who the first one. 
Okay, he's, Tech Nine. He's one of the one of the best known and most successful independent rappers in the world. He's from Kansas City, Missouri. Um, actually had the pleasure of opening for him before and meeting him. And he's a really cool guy, fantastic, incredible rapper, um, amazing entrepreneur as well. So uh, he's someone I look up to a lot. Okay, and who's like the rapper that you dislike the most? <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, I, I, I want to keep it positive. I don't want to say rappers I dislike. There's a lot of music I dislike. Um, but yeah, I just don't listen to it. If I don't like it, I just don't listen to it. Um, yeah. Different people like different things. So I'd rather just listen to what I like than kind of waste my time trying to tear down what I don't like when it comes to music anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, good answer. Well, who's your favorite rapper? Um, Let's put you on the spot. I listen to, uh, because we live in France, I listen to a lot of French rappers, but okay. um, I think Travis Scott is has to be like quite high on my list. I really okay. like him. And then um, I used to really like Kanye West, but not really anymore. I think he's gone a bit crazy with like his raps. I don't know. <laughs> Fair enough. Which French rappers do you like? Um, I like um, Frise Corleone. I don't know if you've heard okay. of him. I'm not familiar. I'm not familiar with him actually. No, he okay. he's really good. Um, okay. Who else? Who is famous worldwide? Uh, I can't think right now. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's okay. Why, don't you, why don't you, you know, throw something down? What do you mean? Rap in front. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Zuby might pick you up. You never know. Like, there, there could be a whole, like, uh, music label on the table Definitely right now. Definitely not. No. <laughs> Come on. Female team, white rapper. So, you know, talking about Bitcoin and uh, big ideas. No. Nope. Yeah. Well, let's ask. That's okay. Let's it's ask not the... for everybody. It's not for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a niche in the market there? Um, there's always a niche in the market for people who are good at what they do. How good is that? Like, yeah. We're talking to Mr. Positivity here, which is what <laughs> I want to talk to him about a lot. Okay. So, uh, do you have any more questions before? Um... Nope. 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 Okay. I'm good. Cool. Well, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Bye. Take care. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming on again. Um, really looking forward to getting into this because been following you on Twitter and really resonating with a lot of the things that uh, you're, you're putting out there um, with regards to what's going on in the world right now, uh, all the craziness. Um, obviously want to go down the Bitcoin rabbit hole and, uh, you know, a bit of your past history. So for those people that are tuning in and, and perhaps don't know who you are, uh, could you just give us the the quick nutshell of um, you know wh where you came from, how you got on the scene, and um, what you're doing right now? Yeah, no problem. So I'm Zuby, professional rapper, author of the book Strong Advice: Zuby's Guide to Fitness for Everybody, host of the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. I also do various forms of coaching, from life coaching to fitness coaching to social media coaching. But it all started out with just the music. So. If I'm going to say one thing, I normally tell people that I'm a rapper. I was born in England. I grew up in the Middle East in Saudi Arabia. Went to an American school out there slash international school for about seven years. I went to school after that in the UK. And then I went to the University of Oxford where I studied and graduated in computer science. I also released my first album when I was in university. That's when I started making music and started gigging. 
And I've now been doing my music and other stuff now full time for almost a decade. I worked in the corporate world for a couple years after university. And then in November 2011, I left my job. I started up my own independent company and label. And I've just been putting out my own music and hustling and grinding ever since. And stuff just continues to grow and grow. I've now developed a large audience, well over half a million people and growing every day known by millions of people, whether that's some degree of interest or like or love or dislike, whatever it is. A lot of people know who I am now for various things. So here I am. I have, you know, hands and feet in a lot of different places and spaces. So different people know me for very different things. Some people know me more for my sociopolitical commentary. Other people just purely for the music. Some people more for the fitness stuff. Other people more for something in relation to Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, whatever it is, I put my interests out there, I put my thoughts out there, and it gathers people from all over the world of a big range of different interests. Saudi is really interesting. What took you to that part of the world? I'm I'm guessing one of your parents was working in in some Mm -hmm. particular sector, and that was the reason to be living out there. Yeah, that's right. So my dad is a medical doctor, and he got an opportunity to work out there for one of the biggest oil companies in the world. And so that's where we all moved to. Myself, I have four older siblings. We all went out there, family of seven. And we lived there in total for about 19 years. From my preteens, I was back and forth between the UK and Saudi a lot because I was in boarding school in the UK, and then eventually university in the UK but I was still living in Saudi Arabia at the time. So back and forth several times a year between the two countries. And yeah, a lot of that experience, I guess, shaped where I am now and my perspective on various things. And what's the, you must see a huge difference in in cultures or is it it kind of, I mean, I I worked in Singapore for for 15 years. So, you know, I, I, I know the expatriate scene can be a bit bubbly, to say the least. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you mm-hmm. might not necessarily even ever intermingle with uh, with the locals. What was your kind of experience there? A bit of both. So where I lived specifically was most definitely a bubble. Um, where I lived, basically I lived in a small town where everybody worked for the same company even, right? So the the town is basically owned and created by the company and they have multiple of them. And so it's an expat community, people from all over the world. Of course, you have uh, people from all over the Middle East, people from North America, Europe, Asia, Africa, all over. So from day one, I was just surrounded by all types of different people, different colors, creeds, religions, etc. true diversity. But we did also interact with what I would call the real Saudi. So for example, you know, as soon as you go outside, then if you wanted to go shopping, for example, you want to go to one of the larger cities where you'd go shopping or something, then you're then you're in real then you're in real Saudi. The rules and laws are, are different. You're interacting with different demographics of people. You're more seeing what real Saudi Arabia is like, shall we say. So it's both of those. So where I lived was a bubble, but it's not like you just stay totally inside of that and you have no knowledge of what is going on outside. And it's so, yeah, these, these upbringings are very, um, there's a lot of pressure put on them. I'm sure Mm. you were primed to become the next doctor or to have a corporate career (laughs) because, you know, you get a very good education there. Well, in in air quotes, you know, you know, defined good education at the end of the day. Um, but it's international schooling 
and mm-hmm. there's lots of high pressure. There's lots of high stakes. You know, I've seen this with my own eyes as well. Lots of money, which also puts lots of pressure on the kids because the parents are paying a lot of money to put them through. Then you've gone on to Oxford University. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking your mum and dad are probably thinking this is brilliant. He's on the road. You know, he's set. He's going to become Mr. Corporate or Mr. This or Mr. That. And you said you, you lasted, what, a little time in the corporate world? And you're like, boom, out. This isn't Three for years. me. Yep. What was that doing? Um, so it was always going to happen. I mean, once I started making my music and doing well with it as well. I mean, by the time I left my job, it wasn't like my music wasn't doing anything. I had a fan base. I had an audience. I'd sold thousands of albums already. I'd already done a tour. I'd performed abroad. So it wasn't like I went from... I jumped out of a corporate career to go to ground zero with my music. What actually happened was both both of them were growing to a level where juggling the two of them meant that I had to sacrifice um, aspects of one or the other in order to do things with the opposite one. And so for me, it was not a difficult decision at all. Early 2011, I just said to myself, okay, by the end of this year, I'm going to be a full-time musician. This is it. This is my last year doing this. I want to get promoted and then I'm going to go. Um, it wasn't a surprise to anybody who knows me. It wasn't a surprise to my parents, my friends, my family. I, I talked them through it. Um, and they already knew how passionate I was about my music and everything I wanted to do and my personality type. I'm one of those people, if I set my mind to something, you're not going to really stop me from doing it unless there's a very rational, logical reason. Like if my heart is on something, I, I do it and I do it properly. I don't dabble in things. I'm not a dabbler. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to go in it. So most things I'm kind of all in or all out. I don't really hang around in that middle stage too much like a lot of people do. People say, oh, I'm, I'd like to write a book one day or whatever. I was like, no, I'm writing a book. I sat down, bang, done, right? Um, <laughs> I want to make an album. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Like it's getting, it's getting done. If I'm not going to do it, I won't even float the idea out there. And from the parent perspective, uh, God bless them. Like my parents and my family have always, they've always supported my music career. In fact, there's a, there's a high probability either my mom or my dad or both of them are wearing some form of my merchandise right now because they normally do. They've been to many, many of my gigs. They support me 100%. I just picked up the CD copies of my new album yesterday. My mom is always the first person to buy any new album I put out there. She she In fact, she'll get angry if someone even tries to buy one before she has one. So she, she's got her copy already. It's not even officially out yet, but she's got her copy and they're they're very supportive and i think also you know they try it's also trust as well it's trust it's knowing that so it's not like i dropped out of school let alone dropped out of university to go become a rapper or something it's like no like i did all that i've got i got fantastic grades in school i got my degree all of that is done and so you know my parents trust me they trust my decision making they don't think oh he has to do these other traditional things because he's going to be a failure. Otherwise, it's like, no, Zuby's going to succeed in whatever he sets his mind to. And even if we do have some concerns, he's going to do it anyway. So let's support him rather than try to railroad him. And uh, that's paid off. What made you pick up the mic, man? Because, the, you know, it's, it's a big step to go from thinking, ah, yeah, I could do that, to actually picking that thing up, getting up on stage and uh, and going for it. Yeah, so I've been a hip hop fan since since I went to boarding school, really. So from my 12, 
12 years old, I started to really get into it. I have two older brothers who used to listen to hip hop quite a lot as I was growing up. So I used to hear it from them, but I didn't really, I, I myself wasn't really following the music or listening to it off my own kind of, uh, off my own volition. And then when I was in university, I actually wrote my first rap when I was traveling. So I was on my way from the UK to USA. I got stuck in an airport in Paris for about 24 hours. I was by myself. I was bored. And I just started jotting down some lyrics. I had some beats on my MP3 player at the time. And I just started writing down some lyrics. Then when I was in Nigeria during that holiday period, I was just recording acapellas into my phone, just like voice notes. I just rap into it and play it to my family and my cousins and whoever else was there. And people go, oh, interesting, you know, Zuby's, Zuby's rapping kind of thing. Then I got back to university and I kept sort of doing the same. And then one of my friends, Chris, in his dorm room, he had a basic recording setup. So I'd go in there and download beats off the internet and just start making songs. So I made a few songs. The first song I made was called The Bad Man. Then I made one called Oh No. Then I made one called Tonight. And that those first those were my first three tracks. And people really like them. Uh, people really like them. If I go back and listen to them now, I'm like, ooh, my flow is off. Like my delivery is not very good, but people like them. Um, and then in my second year of university, I had enough songs recorded to put together an album. So I made an album called Commercial Underground. I just put it out there independently. I got just 50 CDs made to begin with, and I sold all 50 CDs in a week. And so I took that money and I made another several hundred CDs and I sold all of them. And then I just kept doing that. I re-upped. I eventually got to the stage where I was making 500 to 1,000 at a time. And I just started promoting and selling them. Once I've exhausted, once I'd exhausted my sort of friends, family, university people, et cetera, who were interested in it, I then started venturing out to strangers and playing my music to people on the street going around just hustling every Saturday, even Sundays, I was out there on the street, Corn Market Street in Oxford, Leicester Square in London. I was just going out there, talking to people, um, and yeah, just playing people my music, and if they wanted to buy it, I was selling my CDs. Eventually, in the long term, several years down the line, I ended up selling over 20,000 CDs on the streets of England, right? Just UK, let me say, because I even went all the way up to Scotland and to Wales, so... Um, that's really how people got to know me to begin with. That's really how I put my name on the map. It was through all of that grind, all of that legwork, all of that hand-to-hand sales, hand-to-hand combat. That's how people really knew me to begin with. It wasn't from, it wasn't from online. People would find me in real, in the real world and then follow me online rather than the other way around. Whereas these days, my online profile started to grow very, very significantly, especially in 2019. So now I think the majority of people who know me know me from something online, whether that's my music or a podcast or uh, social media, whatever it is. But that's actually a relatively recent shift that's happened. It's also made it much more global. So the majority of people who know me now are, you know, I'm best known in the USA. I'm better known in the USA now than I am in the UK. So that's also been a big shift that's happened. There's been quite a demographic shift as well. My audience is now a lot older than it used to be. Majority of my audience used to be people younger than me. Now I'd say the majority are people around my age or possibly older, but it's just a much wider demographic now. There are people who know me who are teenagers or even younger. There are people who know me who are in their their 60s and their 70s, and they like what I do and they follow what I do. So that's really cool. I love the fact that 
my message appeals to such a broad range of people because I think it's much more a, if I were to describe the demographic of my audience, it would have nothing to do with really with like age or race or ethnicity or skin color or even location, et cetera. I find that what people tend to have in common who like what I do, it's up there, right? It's in the mind. It's, it's in the heart. It's something that's, it's something that's different, which is really, really cool. Actually, it's not just like, oh, okay, it's teenage girls who like what I'm doing. It's just like, it's this huge, broad range of people, um, and you can see that on any avenue. And I think that's really cool. Man, so like, this is the and this is the thing that you know I'm not deeply into the music scene, but what I see has happened. You have someone that's gone to the links that you've gone to, like hitting the streets and doing it old style like guerrilla marketing type you know tactics getting out meeting people shaking hands um being tangible being physically there and then you have this phenom now where you could upload a 30 second tiktok uh clip and have a million followers overnight i mean how does that kind of when you look at what's going on how does that kind of sit with you with what with how you've built your brand and, and you know, how everything's kind of evolving and the future um, of, of, of like your art. Well, I think it's great that it's easier to reach people and to dis- distribute content than it ever was. And I also think this is, this has never been really different. You know, it's also easy come, easy go, right? Um, we all know in music the concept of a one-hit wonder, right? We can probably think of hundreds of them, people who for three to six months, their name is big. They've got a song that's popping. It's playing on the radio, whatever. Maybe they're even getting festival bookings. And then literally a year later, those so-called fans, all those so-called millions of fans that they had are onto the next hot thing, right? They, they never stuck around. They never cared. Whereas if you look at artists who have a long-term career, long-term career spanning decades, you'll find that it's been a much slower burn, right? It's been a slower burn. Somebody like um, Ed Sheeran, if he wants to, he can still be touring into his 60s, right? Because he's done the slow burn. I mean, I remember when I had more Twitter followers than Ed Sheeran (laughs) back when he was still on Twitter, right? So I saw his come up. I saw his come up. I've been aware of him since I first found him in 2008, I think. So, you know, there was a time when we were very much kind of at, at that same level and I really saw his thing just just take off like that. But it's been a real slow burn for him. Even before that stage, you know, he'd been putting in work for, I think, probably about 10 years and he's a young guy. So, so when, when you do that, you gain genuine fans. It's not just about the width, it's about the depth, right? So it's one thing to have a million followers who saw you off one viral video, one 30 second clip, or you made one song that they like. And so they're fans of that song, but they're not necessarily fans of you. They're not necessarily fans of the person. And I want to have an audience and cultivate an audience. And I think I've done a good job of doing this where people are actually a fan of Zuby. They're not just a fan of X song, right? They actually like me. They like what I'm about. They like what I'm putting out there. So whether my next project is an album or a book or a new hat, or a t-shirt, or a public speech, or a concert, there are people who are interested in that because they're interested in me. There's a lot of artists who have done that very well. You could say even some businesses do this. You know, They don't just have like one 
cool product that takes off, but people like the whole business. Like I'm not a huge Apple fan, but Apple have done that well. I'm not a huge Starbucks fan, but Starbucks have done that well, right? It, it's beyond the phone. It's beyond the coffee. It's beyond the laptop. People like Apple itself, right? So if they decided to kind of go left field and I don't know, put out an Apple car, there'll be people who are interested in it because they like the fact that it's Apple. So I want to create that kind of audience. Uh, someone who's done that really well, to give another example, would be someone like Joe Rogan, right? Joe Rogan could write a book. It'll be a bestseller. He could start a clothing label. He could do this. He could do that because people like Joe Rogan. They don't just like that one thing he made. They like him. They like his personality. And it also makes you sort of cancel proof, right? And we're living in this day, age where pe day and age where people are worried about cancel culture and this and that. And actually, if you have people who genuinely like you and believe in your message and they know that you're authentic and you're honest with them, etc., then you're in a much more powerful position because you don't need to, number one, you're not controlled by anybody, but also you don't need to kowtow to every whim and every wind and every trend. You can just do your thing and people like it because as soon as you start trying to appease everybody or start trying to jump to jump, even in music, right? You guess, oh, this is the new sound of the summer and someone totally switches genres to go try to make that music. And then, oh, next year it switches again and they're now making these type of songs. And, you know, in the short term, it could be effective, but in the long term, it just doesn't it just doesn't work. And you're not building a true fan base because those people who liked what you were doing in 2018, now they don't like what you're doing in 2020. And the people you gained in 2020, now they're not liking what you're doing in 2022, etc. So you have to just be authentic, be real with yourself. And some people, you know, you don't need to appeal, you don't need to appeal to everybody, you don't even need to appeal to most people, you just need I mean, if you can get 0.001% of people to like what you're doing, and really, really like it and be willing to support it, then you've got a great career ahead of you if you start trying to I mean there's no artist I literally don't think there's a single musician in the world that most people like closest might be Michael Jackson in terms of his music but there's not a single artist who most people like people like totally different genres even within genres people like different stuff you know there's someone out there who thinks that there are millions of people who think that I don't know Coldplay are amazing. There's millions of people, maybe billions who don't, there's billions of people who don't listen to Coldplay. There's millions who probably think their stuff is terrible, but it doesn't, doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter to them, right? The people who don't like, the people who don't like their stuff and aren't going to buy concert tickets and aren't going to buy albums, Coldplay should not be sitting there worrying about them because it's not their audience. You know, oh, that kid likes, that kid listens to mostly gangster rap. So he's probably not going to, you're probably not going to convert him. If there's someone who just, abhors rap um i'm gonna do i'm gonna have a tough job converting them like it feels good when you get someone who doesn't normally listen to your genre who actually likes your music but like i said you just do what you do and let the chips fall where they may what's your come on what's your guilty pleasure one hit wonder that you you throw on every now and then guilty pleasure one hit wonder wow um ooh, that's a good question i feel like there's a few Okay. I feel like in in almost any genre of music, there'll be certain songs that I like, and I'm like, I probably shouldn't like this, but this is dope. There's definitely a few. There's probably too many to pick one out. 
there's probably too many to pick one out. There are certain songs where I'm just like, yeah, I don't normally like this kind of stuff, but this particular song, <laughs> this particular song is actually is actually dope. The reason I ask, and um, I've not asked actually, did do you have kids or not? Do you have young people around you all the time? No, not yet. I've uh, I'm an uncle to nine, uh, officially, <laughs> more unofficially. But uh, no, I don't have kids yet, but I plan to have plenty in the future. So, you know, I've got a couple of teenagers hanging around and a couple of 10-year-olds and there's always different music. And every now and then you're just like, there's nowhere in the world I should be liking this Taylor Swift song. (laughs) (laughs) But you find yourself tapping away to it or Katy Perry, you know, because it just gets absolutely, um, completely played to death. But uh, anyway, yeah, I thought that'd be a fun little question. Let's... Because you've got so many different things we can talk about, I want to talk about your book. Uh, you know that that's that's a that's a tangent. You know, mm. one minute you're a musician and you're rapping, and then the next minute you're like your pinned tweet is you you, you broke the the ladies' Olympic uh, deadlift um, weight U- UK UK powerlifting right a deadlift record yeah and bench press. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it wasn't it wasn't that hard, but yeah. And um, and obviously you have a, a deep passion around uh, nutrition and uh, exercise, and that's led to a book. So tell us the story about that. What's what's going on? Sure. So I've been going to the gym for longer than I've been rapping. I started working out when I was 15 years old. So coming up to two decades of, of training. And um, it's something I've been obviously been interested in for a long time. I've got tons of experience in a lot of people, both in the real world and online, ask me questions about my training routine or building muscle or losing fat or whatever it is. And I just thought, hey, why don't I, why don't I put together something? Why don't I make an ebook that will help people with this? Let me create something that I wish I had when I was 15 years old that someone could have just given to me and been like, look, this is these are the basics. This is what you need to know about mindset and motivation. This is what you need to know about, about nutrition. This is what you need to know about uh, building muscle and gaining strength. So I just wrote that book that I wasn't seeing out there in uh, simple, concise terms aimed at beginners to intermediates. But also I think it's effective as a sort of reminder for people who are more advanced. And I just put that out there. I mean, I... I I didn't expect the book to do so well. I thought, okay, this will probably help a couple hundred people and cool. Um, I'll put a price tag on it. I can make a little bit of money from it as well. And it sold almost, it's approaching 5,000 copies sold. And that's just through my independent channels. That's through my website and Gumroad. The book is not even on Amazon or Audible or anything like that. That's just through my own channels. So it's helped a lot of people. It's helped a lot of people. I've received a lot of emails. It's got over 200 five-star reviews. A lot of DMs from people who told me that it's the best fitness book they've read and that it finally clicked for them and it's been helping them achieve this and achieve that. So that's wonderful because what motivates me, and I don't know if everybody appreciates or understands this, is I'm very much motivated by trying to maximize my own potential and then just trying to positively impact and influence as many people as possible. It's what drives me in my music, what's what drives me in anything fitness related, my social media presence, my podcast, interviews like this. That's pretty much the filter I run everything through, right? I run things through, okay, is this going to get me closer to having a positive impact on over 10 million people? If the answer is no, and it's not absolutely necessary, then I don't do it. If the answer is yes, then it becomes a, a consideration, whatever it is. 
And like I said, I don't like to just do one thing. I actually get bored with that. So music very much satisfies a part of my brain and a part of my personality. But if all I do is just, just music all the time, then there's an love that is not being, that's not really being put out there. And I feel like even from an ethical perspective, I have to put everything out there on the table. If I have a talent or an experience or an opportunity or some kind of blessing or capability that I have to me, the ethical thing to do is to put it out there and not be selfish with it. So like if, if I have all this knowledge about training and nutrition and fitness and whatever, and I'm seeing there's billions of people out there in the world who actually are trying to improve their physique or trying to get stronger or trying to lose weight, whatever. It's like, hey, I know how to do that. I've been through the process myself. So even from a moral perspective, I have to put it out there. It's also why I'm not, um, you know, some of my critics like to, and this, this goes back to day one, my critics like to complain about the fact that I promote, I self-promote too much, they say, right? I self-promote too much. I self-advertise. Firstly, no one else is going to do it because I'm a one-man army. But two, if you are promoting something that helps people, it is your duty to sell it. It's your duty to sell it, right? It's not just, oh, um, you know, if I was selling something that was just like garbage or was not helping people or was even harming people, you know, I'd be a, ter I'd be a terrible salesman for like, I don't know, cigarettes or something because I, I wouldn't be able to do it. Um, but for something that I know actually helps people and that, you know, is going to offer value to their lives, then it's not just, um, oh, I'm going to sell to make money. It's also yo, this, is, this, this will actually help you, right? I've made something that, that will help you, whether that's through information or entertainment. And so here it is. Of course, I'm proud that I've created it. And of course, there is a profit incentive with you know, any, any sale, but it's also, you know, yeah, I have to do this because this, this will help people. Man, you just hit home on something pretty personal there. Um, I am terrible at shilling my own book. Okay absolutely terrible at it for the reasons you just stated because i don't want to over promote i don't want to push it down people's necks i don't want people to think i'm being you know over uh, aggressive mm. but at the end of the day you know the feedback i get about the book is 100 percent positive it i i know i've met people it's it, physically it's helped um so what is, what is that psychological barrier why do we carry this baggage around with us have, have you ever like uh delved into that yeah, it's simply fear of judgment from others. That's the biggest human fear. That's all it is. And that, that, that is the answer to most things. <laughs> it's the answer to most things, fear of judgment from others. That's the thing people fear more than anything else. It's why people are afraid to start podcasts or to start YouTube channels or to start a business or to go ask out that girl that they want or talk to this person. They're like People are afraid of judgment from others. So, I mean, I've met several hundred thousands of people through my days of hustling promoting my cds and my merchandise directly to people and trust me if you're afraid of rejection and afraid of judgment from others then you're going to be a terrible <laughs> a terrible person at that job so over time over the months over years many many years of doing that you develop a a shell an exoskeleton where there's very little that someone can say to you that number one you haven't already heard but that sort of penetrates through that armor and also to reframe it how many times have coca-cola advertised to you how many mm -hmm. times have mcdonald's advertised to you mm -hmm. in your course course of your lifetime how many five thousand ten thousand twenty thousand right and you're afraid of pitching your book 
how many times do they market to you in a day, right? In one day, you might pass 10 ads from the same company, yet people are afraid to go on Twitter or Instagram and promote their book once a day, right? It's, it's crazy. So even for the people who are critical of it, um, those same people have no problem with gigantic multi-billion multinational corporations advertising to them day in and day out. Yet when someone on Twitter decides to, hey, I've got a new book out or, hey, this is my new merchandise or whatever, they're suddenly like, oh, stop the self-promotion. You're promoting to I'm like, dude, shut up, man. Like, and those people are never going to buy from you anyway. So, you know, they don't really matter. People are going to criticize you whatever you do. So you may as well be criticized while being successful. 100%. All right. So in the book, what's uh, for, th th there's a link here to, to Bitcoin and to improving nutrition and improving strength and physique. Uh, for me, it was um, just, I just really wanted to get healthy again. You know, I'd spent 18 years as a desk jockey and uh, Bitcoin starts playing with your mind and you start thinking longer term. And it was like, man, I just, why do I have these long, stupid, skinny arms? Why can't I put some muscle on those things? And uh, so I went and hired myself a, a fitness trainer and I've been doing that for the last year. Thank you. But it was Bitcoin that, that did that to me. Um, and it's weird because many people have changed their diet over this. And there's, you know, the arguments that are raging and, you know, between the vegans and the carnivores, the truth probably lies somewhere <laughs> in the middle. Who knows? But um, what was it for you that you think um, in your book that, that the people can do, like the most basic thing people can do to get like the, the quickest result, which will um then that's a re positive reinforcement loop isn't it that that then mm. starts um that cycle of stickiness yes honestly i'm going to i'm going to give two things number 1 and this uh, this goes beyond any short term result because you always want to be thinking long term when it comes to your health because you've only got one body for the rest of your life so it's important and the first thing is to understand why understand why you want to do what you want to do. You know, if someone is like, oh, I want to lose weight, you know, why? Because this, why? Because this, why, right? Like, oh, I want, I want bigger arms. Why? Right? Like get to the understanding and be deeply honest, be radically honest with yourself of, okay, why? You know, it's, and it doesn't matter. No reason is shallow. It's fine. Oh, I want to look more attractive to, um, the person I'm already with, or I want to be more attractive to uh, people in general, or I want to feel more confident, or I feel a little ashamed when I take off my shirt at the beach or whatever it is, or, you know, I'm just worried about, I'm worried about my health. I'm very overweight and I'm concerned of developing diabetes or having heart, whatever it is, like find the root because that will keep you motivated throughout. It's hard to do things when you don't know why you're doing them, right? It's hard to do anything consistently if you don't know why why you're doing it, right? There has to be a reason. So kind of put that front and center. That would be the first thing I've said. And then after that, take action, take action. Um, I'd recommend, especially when it comes to lifting weights and training, it's good to, it's imperative to know what you're doing so you don't hurt yourself and you're not wasting your time doing bad form and useless exercises, etc. But a lot of time, people waste a lot of time worrying about like, stuff that might make a one to two percent difference whilst ignoring or not doing the stuff that makes the 90s 98 or 99 percent difference right you were mentioning the whole carnivore versus vegan thing right there'll be someone who's there trying to work out what the perfect optimal 
diet is for months on end rather than just taking action right it's it's there's there are some forms of procrastination that feel productive right you you want to start a business but you're spending two months on on the logo right <laughs> you're spending two months trying to pick the way it's like bro just like get your clients or get customers or whatever you can do all that stuff later you're delaying the stuff that's actually hard and the stuff that makes an impact because you're trying to optimize everything before taking action so just get started you know get a gym membership and start going get in the habit of going to the gym you can refine stuff you can perfect stuff you can optimize stuff once you're already in motion don't try to do it all up front and get par analysis paralysis sitting there trying to you know work out this and work out that and work out this and work out that you know get it going and that also helps to build the habit so those would be the two big things which I, I do talk about in the book but those would be two things that i think are imperative not getting bogged down in the absolute details that's not saying details don't matter but understand your why and get in motion self-responsibility right self-sovereignty always man always it's one reason why i love the gym it's just you man right it's you versus the weight the weights weigh the same thing every time you go in <laughs> right so the opposition is always the same so whether you're performing or underperforming or gaining or losing or whatever you cannot you can't blame anything else like nothing teaches personal responsibility and discipline like training in general but i would actually say specifically uh strength training and perhaps even cardio to a degree because it's just it's just you you don't even have a team right it's not even like oh the other team played really well or i played well but my team didn't play bad play well or i was just unlucky it's like nope it's just you you can lift it or you can't you can do it or you can't and if you can't do it then you can build up to the stage where you can so i think it's a perfect objective metaphor where there's there's just no excuses in that lane and if you can build that mentality in that area you can actually bring that into other other parts of the world um, it's not by accident that most people who are well-trained athletes or people who are really into training or whatever they have a certain mentality and resilience and discipline that they can bring to other areas um, it's it's a transferable mentality so not only is it great for the direct health and physique benefits of it but if you do that, like I've never seen somebody lose a significant amount of weight without a big change up there. Never seen it, right? Unless they get like liposuction or something, right? I've never seen anyone. You have to change your mind. Your your mindset has to shift. Like it has to. Um, same building muscle, you know, especially doing it without any kind of you know drugs or whatever. You're not going to get a guy who builds uh, twenty pounds of muscle over a period of time. And his mindset and outlook and discipline, et cetera, are the same as they were prior to when he did that. It's not just a physical change. It's a mental change as well. Do you think that this, it seems to me as though you were already predisposed to Bitcoin, to finding Bitcoin because of these <laughs> kind of, these kind of attributes in your personality already, the, the, this yeah. self-ownership. Have you ever thought about that? Like the, the, the kind mm -hmm. of other attributes to your, to your own personality that kind of predisposed you to, you know, taking that first peek into the Bitcoin rabbit hole? Yeah, most definitely. I was sold on Bitcoin in about 15 minutes once I actually researched it. Um, I'd heard about it a while ago. Like I told you, I'm, I'm a computer science graduate. And I'd heard the word Bitcoin floated around, man, probably in the early to mid 2010s 
but I didn't look into it properly until 2017. That was when I actually looked at it properly and, oh, I, I, I understood that it was, oh, this is a deflationary currency. It's, it's limited. It's got this hard cap. It's fungible. It's, um, you know, can be sent permission, you know, permissionless essentially across borders. It's um, uncensorable, unconfiscatable, blah, blah, blah. Once all of that, once I understood all of that, I was sold on the concept pretty quickly. And like most people, I was there thinking, oh, I should have researched that more before. I thought it was just like a PayPal alternative or some kind of video game currency or whatever. I just didn't know what it was. No one had ever explained it to me. So, yeah, definitely the way I'm mentally wired, which also leads into the way I kind of view certain things in society and culture and politics, etc. They're all they are all connected. They're all connected. I'm very big on, like you said, personal responsibility and not relying on other people. Um, that doesn't mean not helping other people or never seeking help from other people, but not being at the mercy of other individuals or the system or whatever it is, you know, doing everything you can, controlling the things that you can. Look, there's a lot of stuff in the world we can't control, right? But you can control yourself. You can control your own behaviors. Um, even that is difficult to do, <laughs> but you can do it. So I'm a bit a big advocate for doing the best you can with that and trying to maximize that. And yeah, I think it, it plays into it plays into everything else, including Bitcoin. Do you think there's anything that's changed in you since since that time, since that first peek into the rabbit hole? And I mean, that's four years ago now, mm. and I'm sure you've. Um, I don't know. Do you listen to the pods? Do you read the books? You know, how far deep into this, you know, does does this go for you? Yeah, I um, have I changed? Yes, I'd say I've become even more. I mean, even over the past year and a half, I've become even more libertarian. Um, <laughs> I've become kind of even more convinced that, OK, like I'm I'm on the right I'm on the right path here um, and more people should be thinking this way if they want to be successful and even want to kind of protect themselves and not get not allow entities to run roughshod all over them. And I'm always I'm always learning, man. I always try to be getting better in some way, shape or form every single day. Every day I want to be a little bit smarter, a little bit more knowledgeable, um, to grow my grow my network. It's hard to keep getting I'm at a stage now where it's hard to keep getting physically stronger every single day. But I'd, <laughs> I'd like to. Um, I'm kind of pretty much capped out on what my natural limit there, but at least to, to maintain that, I'm always trying to develop my skills. I don't want to be the same person in 2025 that I am right now. I want to have more skills, more resources, bigger network, more success, larger audience, be better at everything I'm doing, be a better speaker, be a better rapper, be a better friend, be a better everything, right? So that's how I'm wired. I'm very much wired towards I think I've said it multiple times. Yeah, trying to maximize my potential. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by the concept of potential. We all have so much that we can offer the world and that we can offer other people. And I think when you recognize that, you, you, you not only do you want to tap into it, but you need to. For me to reach my big goals, I have to do my best to maximize my own potential because I can't help other people to do the same unless I do it myself. Like if, if I hadn't been on this journey, then I wouldn't be able to have this conversation with you and to share it on other areas and for people to be able to see, oh, wow, look, look, at what, look at what this guy's done. Look at what this guy's doing, right? It wouldn't inspire anybody if I just accepted who I was at 18 and was like, okay, I'm just going to 
stay here. I'm just going to stagnate. Then that's not inspiring to, to anybody. The people who are inspiring are people who have developed themselves and created created things and they're constantly on that daily path of success which and i'm saying success more like a process than a destination um you know you're you're a father every single day i'm sure it's an it's an ongoing consistent daily hourly effort to be a good father you're not just oh i'm a good father for like a week and i'm done it's like no you got to keep you got to keep doing it and there's going to be challenges and some things will be unpredictable etc but you keep on doing it and it will and it pays off you know it pays off in in various ways and that's that's kind of the same as everything it's the same with a career it's the same with your 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 body and your health and your physique it's the same with finances it's the same with relationships right if you just you know you know you don't just talk to a friend once and that's it it's like you know you got to you got to keep watering the plants you got to you got to keep everything going so that's how i view it it's interesting that you mentioned it, it kind of sharpened your um, political views and, and that's that's evident uh, for, for everybody to see that follows you on Twitter. And um, like I said, <laughs> at the, like I said at the beginning uh, and in the, uh, the approach in the, in the DMs, uh, I want to touch on what's going on, man. Like mm. did this this last it, yeah, I, I can't even put into words what what we've seen. And yes. it's just incredible the the level of. The, the way people have just rolled over is, is just unbelievable. And mm -hmm. I know you have got some some thoughts on this. Um, what's in your eyes, what's created this and, and, and how do we fix it? Um, yeah, I mean, and feel, feel free just to rip. <laughs> sure. Um, fear. Fear is the most powerful human emotion. And like I said, there's no bigger fear than fear of judgment from others. Pretty close to that is fear of death, right? Two biggest, two biggest fears. So both of those things have been running concurrently, both for legitimate reasons and also for manufactured reasons, shall we say. So there are certain actors, politicians, and the media specifically in every country who have weaponized this for lack of a better term, they, they've created propaganda to prey on people's fears and also to prey on people, prey on both fears, prey on people's fear of death and fear of disease, and also prey on people's fear of social stigma or social judgment, etc. You see this in, in the different mandates. If you look in the way people are behaving, people are talking to each other, um, you know, the media and politicians are essentially just treating people like pawns on a chessboard and just shifting them around, you know, okay, we'll put out this narrative and okay, when that stops working, put out that narrative, pit that group against that one, put that one against that one. And it plays out like a charm. This is nothing new. We've seen this throughout history. Um, it's weird to live through it. <laughs> I think that's the thing that's shocking. I'm sure if you, if you look at history, you can see many situations where this has happened and gotten even worse. And the government and the media are just manipulating people to their ends and so so that's what's that's what's happened and it's why it continues to persist so for example i'm here in the uk and um you know there is no pandemic in the uk there's no viral pandemic in the uk that ended even officially by by any official measure that ended i think about two months ago now um even at the peak you know we people can debate i don't i don't we, we could debate about you know how serious the thing ever really was and the numbers etc 
But by any measure, I mean, we were talking single digit deaths per day now in a country of 66 million people. Over 95% of vulnerable people have been vaccinated. Something like over seven, I think over 75% of the population they estimate has the antibodies already because they've already it's, they've recovered or they've been vaccinated, whatever, already wasn't affecting children. So basically, very few people are even susceptible to the disease at this point. But yet people are still running around outside wearing masks, right? People are still behaving in very strange ways. There are people who don't want the UK to fully open on the 21st of June because they're still saying that's too early. I mean, I would have said the 21st of June 2020 is too late. I don't think things should have ever shut down personally. Um, but it's become it's also become something people are emotionally invested in and emotionally attached to. So this is the first time I've ever seen a, a disease where people literally want it to be worse than it is, right? People want it to be worse. People don't want it to end in a true, truly deadly pandemic. Number one, you wouldn't need to mandate that much because people will act rationally off their own self-preservation, right? Like if I know, okay, if I go outside, there's like a 20%, there's a chance of me getting some disease that's going to like a 30% chance of killing me. You don't need to tell me to, <laughs> you don't need to tell me to stay inside. You don't need to, you know, mandate anything for me. If you can prove to me that, oh, there's this type of mask, which helps you stop you getting it or whatever, like, cool, like I will wear it. You don't need to even mandate it, etc. But so many laws and rules and mandates and regulations have had to be put in place because the actual disease itself, the virus itself, I mean, for the vast majority of people, it's not harmful. It's not, it's not deadly. Um, there's a percentage of people where it is, particularly people who are age, say, 70 plus with comorbidities, then it's more serious. It's still not a death sentence. Even in, even in that demographic, the survival rate, you know, even if, if at the age of like 90, I believe, don't quote me on this, but I believe it's still somewhere in the realm of about 80%, right? And 90, 90 is old, right? 90 is old. Um, so, so this is the situation and the numbers have been pumped up artificially due to the way that they count them. That's absolutely happened in the UK. Um, I know it's happened in other countries as well. So the real extent of it, we don't really know. Um, but people are just people are caught in this fear loop. People are caught in this fear loop. And I think inertia has also set in where it's been going on. For, and this is something I worried, warned about early on. I said, the longer this goes on, the longer it's going to be hard for people to get out of it. Right. If you remember back to when this started, when it was just two weeks to slow the spread, 15 days to flatten the curve, etc., Everybody was itching to go back to normal, right? It was just like, okay, this is a very temporary thing. But now people view lockdowns and restrictions and mandates and all. People have adopted that as the norm. And now people have adopted that as the norm. They almost feel like others need to justify going back to normal. So even though it's over, right? It, it's, it's essentially over for all intents and purposes, at least here. Um, but people will do and say anything to sort of stay where they are right to stay in this in this mode and because some people also like it right people have been being paid for doing nothing a lot of people have been being paid for doing nothing for the past year and a half and they quite like that um some of them don't really travel or have particularly interesting lives anyway so they're quite happy with it a lot of people are just authoritarian minded they like they get off on telling other people what to do they get off on controlling others you've really seen how high a percentage of the population that is recently um so all of these different factors are at play. It's happening. What's scary is it's, it's a global phenomenon, right? Wherever you talk to people, 
um, it's happening unless they happen to be in like Florida or Texas or something where magically this thing doesn't really exist. Um, <laughs> so, so that's the situation. You know, you talk to people everywhere and it's kind of the same story, which is um, pretty bonkers because you can't really escape it. People are just so ready to accept the narrative and yes. it, it's beyond, it drives me crazy that, you know, I, I stopped watching the news seven years ago mm. and it took me a week to realize shit <laughs> i'm more informed than i've ever been in my life everyone says that everyone who stops watching tv says that yeah i haven't had a tv for 12 years and i would say i'm significantly more informed than the average person um and i'm not trying to say that to, to diss anybody but like you said once you once you stop it then it's hard to even watch like when you do watch it you're just like whoa this is so propagandistic it's 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 impossible is, yeah maybe you, there's like little segments you can watch but it's just like man this is uh this is intense so you can imagine people who have it, it essentially creates different realities i don't know if you've seen this one thing i've observed is it basically feels like there are at least two different realities going on um maybe more right maybe there's even three right there are the people who literally do not even think like <laughs> the virus exists right so like the, the, you know it literally doesn't even exist in one reality okay and everything is um you know manufactured and you know whatever and there's another camp where yes it exists and it has hospitalized people and has has killed people you know they're particularly vulnerable people etc who have died etc however the response is massively disproportionate and very likely in many ways has been harmful and may end up killing, if it hasn't already, killing more people than the virus itself. And that governments have, you know, screwed us over and the media has lied a lot, etc. I think that's the real reality. And then there's another reality where, you know, this virus is super deadly and it's, you know, you need to sacrifice everything to it's the most important thing in the world, right? There's nothing more important in the world over the past 18 months than this one, this one virus. Forget all the other viruses, forget all the other causes of death, forget life, forget lib civil liberty, forget freedom, forget um, all the economy, forget forget everything else, reducing case numbers and, and death numbers of this one disease is the most important thing in the world, globally, nationally, globally, et cetera. That's, that's the other reality where a lot of people are living in that and have been living in that. And I think the reason why it's become such a contentious topic is because people are clashing on these different realities. This isn't the only time you see this. Like, there are different universes and other ones, right? There's a universe where um, if you live in the UK or you live in the USA, you live in a country which is run on white supremacy and systemic racism and institutional racism. And the police are just going around killing black people willy-nilly and they're the biggest threat, etc. There's people in that, in that reality. Right. And then there's another reality where people are like, no, like that's not realistic. Like the police are not just driving around the USA murdering black people and like being super racist and all, all that stuff like that narrative is not is not true. And then when these people encounter each other, they're going to butt heads because, you know, one of them, they're literally in different worlds. Um, and this one watches this channel and this one watches this channel. <laughs> and it's difficult to communicate because you, you don't even know what reality the person is in, right? They're saying things and you're just like, 
wait, what? That doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me. And as we know, the human ego is very fragile and people would rather continue to be wrong than be right and be proven wrong, right? That's why people double down, they triple down. Politicians do it, the media does it, right? How often do you see a politician say, actually, you know what, we got this thing wrong? Um, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't happen, right? How many things have been wrong over this time? You know, the science, oh, the science keeps changing. It's like, really? Um, is it changing or are you either just wrong or lying? Right. Some take something as simple as masks. Right. This time last year, um, you know, it's don't wear a mask. <laughs> they don't work. Even coming from the experts, coming from the, the, the science, coming from from, uh, you know, the, the authorities. It's, you know, don't don't wear them unless you are sick. There's absolutely no reason to wear, you know, which, you know especially outside makes even less sense. Um, and then they decided, no. OK, not only should you wear them, but you must. Right. We must mandate this. That just switched. And the only explanation people have is the science changed. And I'm like, did it? Right. Which science changed? And then they get to, oh, you need to wear two masks. Right. And then it got to even if you've vaccinated, you still should be wearing a mask. Right. And it's like, which which I think is like terrible messaging, by the way, if they assuming they actually want people to take the thing, <laughs> telling people to do that was really bad messaging. And then they switched that again. Right. They changed that again a week or two ago. The CDC comes out and says, oh, actually, if you're vaccinated, you know, you don't you shouldn't wear. It. And it's like, OK, well, all of these things cannot be true. Right. So which do you trust? Which is and then all throughout you have doctors, many who have been silenced, actually. You know, they act as if the science is an institution, right? So the science is just one guy. You know, maybe in the USA, it's just Fauci, right? Fauci is the science. Um, in the UK, I don't know who it is, but like they're just certain individuals and they fr ignore the rest of the medical community. They ignore all the scientists who have and all the studies and all the cases which are saying something conflicting and they just run with one narrative and you're not meant to question it. And if you do question it, you're going to be called names. That's why a lot of people don't do it. You were saying people don't challenge it. And it's because like, I have, like I told you, I have a very high um, <laughs> tolerance, shall we say, for being called names, right? Like I don't care if people call me a conspiracy theorist. I don't care if people call me, you know, accuse me of killing their grandmother, which I obviously haven't done. Um, if people accuse me of this or that, like it's annoying, but I don't, really care it's not going to stop me from saying what is either factual or um an opinion right and it's also it also betrays how weak people's opinions are when they do that or how weak their cases really are because if someone says something that you disagree with and your only possible response to it is to call them a name or make an act false accusation against them then how confident are you in what you're and what you're really saying. And that happens all the time. One thing I notice very frequently, especially because, uh, you know, I have more arguments on Twitter than I do in real life, but it's extraordinarily rare for someone to actually rebut what I'm saying. Very rare. Very rare. It's always just, oh, you're this, you're that. You must believe this. We are, you know, it's very childish. It's a very juvenile way of doing things. And it shows that, I don't know, maybe people never learn how to discuss or debate things properly and honestly. Um, but it's, it's very, very prevalent. And, but I think the whole narrative is breaking down. The whole narrative is breaking down. Um, even the sort of true believers at this stage are very, very much struggling to justify like a lot of the stuff that's still going on, especially when it, it doesn't make sense. It's hypocritical. It's illogical. It has nothing to do with science. It's not rational. 
you know, I was at a wedding two weekends ago and you weren't allowed to eat or drink standing up. <laughs> Sitting down, fine, right? But you can't eat or drink standing up because <clears throat> because of COVID, because of the virus, right? And you're just like, what? <laughs> right? It, may, it makes no sense. You have places where there's curfews, you know? It's like, oh, you can go outside between these hours, but not, but it's like, really? Like, is that scientific? Like, how does that, you know, there's all this nonsense. In the UK, they had a thing, you can go to pubs, but you can't. Um, you can't order alcohol, right? Why? Because of the virus. I went to see my niece play a game of football. Instead of playing, um, normally it's split into two halves, but they, instead they split into four quarters. Why? Because of the virus. Like, what? Right? It, it's n totally illogical, right? Just arbitrary, random rules, random regulations, which me make no sense to the point where even someone who's like legitimately been worried about this thing and has been fearful of it, even they have to be like, ah, that doesn't make sense, you know? Um, and once those dominoes start falling, then they tend to fall pretty far. But the most staunchest of Karens are just going <laughs> to keep coming, right? This well, is man, like I've uh, man, I've been saying for a, over a year now. Like, if you're scared, you can you can stay home. You can I support right. everybody's right to stay home. I support anybody's right to wear a mask if they want. You can take whatever medicines you want. Take all the vaccines you want. Wrap yourself in bubble. Wrap yourself in cling film. I don't care. My issue is just when people are trying to stop others from living living their lives you know some people are going to be changed completely from this and that's their right to be I, I feel a little bit sad about it but if that's how they want to go that's how they want to go if you want to wear a mask for the rest of the world rest of your life and hide your face from the world you can um do i think it's a good thing no i don't but you know i will support your right to do so just like i will support someone's right not to um and it's that second part that causes the conflict because i'm just saying my, my position is not controversial. I'm just trying to have what we had back in January 2020, which is uh, <laughs> which everybody supported prior to uh, the brainwashing. Which is exactly what it's been. Yes, it's been it's been an attack. And you, you, you mentioned something earlier, you know, people are emotionally attached to it. But you know, and physically, I think that's the mask. I think that's the psyop of the mask mm -hmm. to be emotionally and physically attached to it. And now you've got this third you have the injection so those people that have worn the masks all this time are still wearing it mm -hmm. have taken the injection mm -hmm. i mean you, you don't get much more physically <laughs> attached to somebody sticking a needle in your arm yeah. and then if it turns out for whatever reason that uh you know these were pushed for an agenda and you know this this news starts coming out and there are questions around it uh, the, the the biggest question for me, the biggest red flag, is these companies have no liability. Exactly, they're completely exempt of liability. Yeah, but because you've created and they've done this, per, I personally I believe they've done this very very deliberately to keep us yelling and screaming at each other, to mm -hmm. create this reality of we've done everything right, we've played by the rules. Why aren't you guys? And then you got the other side of the fence. You're like. <laughs> I'm just asking questions. Yes. And nothing is like two plus two does not equal five in my book yet. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's I'm going to stick with, you know, something else. But man, it's yeah, it's disturbing. The psych the psychology is fascinating. I mean, the darkest thing for it, the darkest thing about all of it for me has been it, it does. Uh, I do now totally understand the 20th century, all the atrocities that happened in the 20th century, whether you're you know this and i'm not being hyperbolic whether you're talking about you know the various forms of communist regimes or you're talking about what happened in nazi germany or you're talking about certain like i totally get it now like i totally from a from a mental psychological perspective 
on the individual and the group level, I can see how all of that, all of that happened. The way people are, you know, divided against each other, um, the way things are phrased, the way the media and government work together to create a certain unquestionable narrative, the way people utilize shaming and name calling and, um, you know, in some cases even threats or threats of violence to keep things in check, the way people are, you know, neighbors can be turned against each other, people can be made to start snitching on their own families, um, the illusion of safety becomes primary and people, politicians and bad actors take advantage of that, right, by promising safety, right? The best, the best way to tyrannize people isn't to, you know, tell them you're tyrannizing them because you want to be tyrannical. It's saying you're keeping them safe. Right. Like, and it's it's and it's a hard one to argue against because people, you know, mentally, you know, a lot of people just don't think critically and they take things as what's on the tin. They never believe there there could be some ulterior motive. Right. Um, who does this very well? You know, to bring I don't even want to bring it in. But, you know, this is what Black Lives Matter have done. Right. Fantastic name. Right. If Black Lives Matter was called um, any other name. <laughs> right. You'd be able to criticize them a lot more easily. Right. If they were called, um, I don't know, revolutionary Marxists of America, then and they had the exact same agenda, exact same whatever. Right. People could criticize them openly without anyone accusing them of being racist or accusing them of not caring about black people or accuse. Right. But because they've intentionally used semantic overload, um, they've made it so that if you question or criticize or even don't support the organization or the movement, then it's like, oh, well, you know, you're racist because look at what they're called, right? Look at what they're called. Look at what they're saying. So if someone is claiming that something is for safety and security and then you criticize it, it's suddenly, oh, so you want people to die. Oh, you're a grandma killer. Oh, you're this. Oh, you're that. It doesn't even matter if the real motive is about money, power, control, authoritarianism, etc. That doesn't matter. Oh, they said it was about safety, right? You know, oh, communism, right? Communism doesn't sell itself like, why won't communism die? It's because it's not as obviously objectionable as Nazism. Okay? You know, racial supremacy, mm, it's, it's, you know, it can be sold, but it's, it's a bit of a hard sell, certainly to a, to a modern human being, right? It's, it's, a, it's a hard sell um, in terms of something that's, you know, good and moral. But, ooh, equality, equity. Ooh, we like those words. Diversity. Ooh, we like that, Right? So that's why something like that doesn't die, because despite the number of people it's killed, first, the people are ignorant of history, but regardless, the idea still sounds and feels good. It hits those feel-good triggers for people. People like safety. People like, there's certain words that people just like. Um, you know, if you started, I always, I, <laughs> I've joked before that if I ever started a terrorist organization, I'd give it like some really lovely name that sounds like, if you were to criticize it, it'll sound like you're just a horrible person, you know? I'd call it, I don't know, the uh, Legion of Diversity and Equality or something, you know, Brotherhood of Diversity, Equality and um, Love, you know. And so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, that, that's 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 how it is, man, is a lot of um, there's a lot to be learned from it for sure. And that's sort of how I try to view it. And also it just makes me even more firm in the fact that, OK, I need to set up my life and my career and my finances, et cetera, so that. I have a good amount of protection against all of this stuff, whether it's the, you know, the any virus itself, right? I need to make sure I'm in good physical health and my immune system is strong or, you know, any sort of lockdowns or massive restrictions 
so many businesses have been, you know, wrecked, you know, jobs lost, businesses destroyed, etc. So, okay, I need to be set up and I am set up so that something like that doesn't affect me. They can lock down the economy and it doesn't stop me from doing what I do. Awesome. Cool. I've got that aspect. Um, so it's kind of accelerated all of that for me to, yeah, I guess become a, you know, in the Bitcoin world, people like the term sovereign individual, right? To be someone who the world can kind of be going mad and you have some protection against it. You've got some fallbacks, some, some fail safes. You're not going to get screwed if inflation comes and starts kicking butt. Like it's seems like it's going to, then you're not going to be getting the short end of the stick all of that it's uh man social media that was supposed to be that was supposed to be our big hope right that was supposed to be for us double-edged that sword was supposed, man. Wait, what happened there like <laughs> it just got infiltrated so quick <laughs> that there's it's so hard to cut through the noise but uh, listen I, I see we've only got a few minutes left so i always ask uh a finishing question and if you had one orange pill left to give to someone who would you give it to and why an orange pill what does this pill do this is the bitcoin orange pill um is this like knowledge this is knowledge of bitcoin yeah all okay. of the all of the knowledge of bitcoin just condensed down into it's the classic matrix moment you know what are you mm. going to take the blue mm. or the red pill uh, we just uh, switched the red pill out for the orange pill. That's all Bitcoin knowledge condensed. Man, I don't know who I'd give it to. I don't know. I honestly don't know. Um, my parents already have it. <laughs> uh, if, they, if, if they didn't, I'd probably say my parents. Um, but they, they've they got that already. Um, I talk about Bitcoin with everyone in my family. Even my nieces and nephews know about it. Um, Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> I, oh man. I genuinely, and your song, by the way, I was going to, I, I was going to pull you up on your song. Oh yeah. Uh, Which one? Because I love it by the freaking dip. Oh, crypto currently. Yeah. I, I feel like yeah. I need to do a part two because a lot of the coins I referenced in that are kind of like dead these days. So I need to. <laughs> That's what I was going to pull you up on. Okay. I'm like, it's, it's a brilliant song. I have no idea how you managed to get so many shit coins in there as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, I made that in what, 2018. So the market was looking pretty differently then. Yeah, but it's, uh, it is still great. I love listening to it. And, um, you know, it's such a great message, you know, by the freaking dip. That's, yeah. that, and that's, <laughs> uh, that's a good, good time to be doing that right now, having this uh, little price correction. Yeah. But, um, all right, man. Well, I, I think we covered almost everything that uh, I wanted to get through with you. Um, I feel as though we could have carried on talking for a lot longer. So it's probably <laughs> probably good we had that hard stop. Uh, but I really appreciate you coming on. Let's make sure people can come and find where you are and, and find out about your projects. So please shill away, Zuby, as only Zuby can. Yeah, no problem. So at Zuby Music on everything, at Z-U-B-Y Music. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, all of them at Zuby Music. And if you want to check out my music, merchandise, or anything else, if you go to teamzuby.com, T-E-A-M-Zuby.com, then you can get all of my stuff there. Uh, my book, Strong Advice. You can get my Twitter course as well. You can get all of my merchandise, all of my music. Everything is there. Um, and you'll find links to everything else there. So go for those two. 
Love it. Thanks so much for coming on, mate. Have yeah. a great afternoon. Nice and, man. Uh, speak to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Zubi, for coming on the show. I hope I opened the show well enough with that little snippet of uh, Crypto Currently, which is a great song, but uh, like we uh, finished on there, there is uh, you've done a great job of getting all those shit coins in. Really loved this one. Really um, good fun and to learn a little bit more about yourself. Please, anyone, if you're not following Zubi, go follow him. Check out his book if you're interested. But definitely hit up some of his music because it's really good stuff. Before we sign this one off, <coughs> excuse me, before we sign this one off, I just want to make sure that I give the shill to those places that you can go start stacking your sats. And you know who they are by now in the UK, coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten. Across Europe, relay, R E L A I dot C H forward slash bitten. Across the pond, swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten. You won't find a better place across the pond to start stacking your sats. All of these companies are Bitcoin only. Make sure you recognize that because they will not try and shill you anything else. And then make sure you're using the Bitbox 02 hardware wallet, which is a Bitcoin only hardware wallet. And I've got an interview coming up with Douglas that will drop pretty soon. And they're going to run a giveaway where you will be able to win yourself a Bitbox 02. So make sure you tune in for that and join the treasure hunt. I'm not exactly sure how we're going to do it just yet. Head over to once-bitten.com and say hi. Take care, guys.